This morning's reading comes from Philippians, chapter three, verses. Sorry, chapters three to four, verses twelve to one, if that makes sense. And it's on page one eight two nine of the Church Bible. So it's chapter three, verse twelve. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind me and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Jesus Christ. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you before, and now say again even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. That is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. This is God's word. Let's pray and then we'll get into it. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, that you are the great and awesome God. Thank you that as we've seen throughout this series that uh, we could lose everything and gain you and that's better by far. We pray this morning that once again you would press that truth on our hearts and that we would be reminded of the reality of heaven and of the reality of hell and that we would face these realities and live our lives in response to all that you've done to save us from what we deserve to a greater hope in Jesus. And so we pray this in his name. Amen. How'd you go uh, Tuesday night? It was that time, you know, once every five years that you can have that fight in your house about how much domestic work you've done, whether you've done more or less than five hours work. I know obviously there was a few problems on Tuesday night with the website of filling out the census, if you're not sure what I'm talking about, Uh, whether it was that hackers jumped on and pulled it down or just 24 million Australians jumped on at the recommended time and the website couldn't hack it. But but the, the census was Tuesday night and so in my house... Unfortunately, I had done less than five hours domestic work. I don't know what you got up to. But the the question I had going into the census was like, obviously these things only work if everyone fills them out, right? Like obviously a census only works if everyone doesn't. So the question I had going into it was how in the world are they going to get everyone to actually jump online and fill out a census? How are they going to get all of Australia to jump online and do this thing that no one really wants to do? Like I know that there is a few of us that love filling out forms, but for the rest of us, how are they going to get us to do it? How are they going to convince us that it's worth it? 
that was until I heard on the radio that the fine, according to like the Census and Statistic Act of 1905 or something like that, the fine for not filling out the census is $180 per day that you don't fill it out, right? Which is enough motivation for me to fill out the census. I don't know if you knew that. Maybe you didn't know that and weren't even going to do it on Tuesday night, but now they've extended it and you're welcome. You don't have to get that fine. You can thank me for saving you from that if you didn't do it. But that was enough motivation to get me, to convince me that this thing was really worth it. And I do actually think it was enough motivation for the rest of Australia to convince them that it was worth it as well. And see, the thing is with stuff like this, you only ever do them if you know that it's worth it, right? You only ever do them, you ever, only ever act on things like that when you know that it really matters. And so as we come here together today, the thing is that we're going to look at is why this really matters, why Christianity really matters. Because it's true throughout life that we only act on stuff, we only are changed by stuff if we know that it matters. And so the question we've got coming into today's passage as we look at this, as we think about being a part of something greater, is why does Christianity really matter? Right? That's our question. Why, why does trusting in Jesus really matter? Because if it does really matter, then it should change us. It should affect us. Our whole lives should be guided by this fact. But if it doesn't matter, right? let's not spend our Sunday mornings here together. Let's do something else on our Sunday morning. So, so that's the question we're asking. Why does this really matter? So if you have your Bibles there today, what we're going to see is that Paul tells us why this thing really matters. And he starts in verse 12 of chapter 3, if you have your Bibles there. This is what he says. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. So, so why does this matter? Why does Christianity matter? Why does trusting Jesus matter? Well, the first thing that Paul talks about is the reality of heaven, right? Paul says, I don't know if you caught it there, but he says, I run the race towards a real hope, right? I run the race towards something greater, towards that which Christ Jesus took a hold of me. He knows that Christians have a real hope in heaven. And so he says, I am running towards this. I am going towards this, right? He knows this. And this shouldn't surprise us about Paul, right? We've seen this again and again in Philippians, haven't we? That Paul is definitely living for something else. So we saw it in chapter one. Remember when Paul said to live is Christ, to die is gain. Remember that he's living for something greater and he says to die is gain because I get to be with Jesus, which is, by better, which is better by far. Right? Then we saw uh, week three of this series where he said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So, so there's this whole idea of figure your faith out, continue trusting in Jesus. We saw last week how he says, I want to know Christ so that somehow I can attain the resurrection of the dead. Paul is living for something greater. Paul knows that for Christians... There is a greater hope. There is a real reality of heaven. There is something better to live for. Now, we all know the picture that Paul's talking about is not sitting on the clouds eating sweet chili filly, right? We, we understand that. That's not the picture of heaven. And it's not great because Jesus is sharing the dips and 
and, and, and crackers with us. He's not even judging us when we put a lot of a dip on our crackers. That's not why heaven's good, right? That's not the picture of heaven that Paul's got. The picture, and we've kind of touched on it in this series, the picture is actually like earth. The picture of heaven's like earth. It's, it's all the good, well, it's not all the good stuff, but there's nothing bad. There's no sin. There's no suffering. There's no death. But what's the best bit of heaven, right? It's almost like the Garden of Eden is the picture here, but it's better than the Garden of Eden. Why? Because Jesus is there. Right, We saw that last week. Jesus is there. He's running towards Jesus. He's running towards a real reality where Jesus is there in heaven. And so what does he say? He says, not that I have already obtained this. Right, Verse 12, he says, not that I have already been perfect. He knows that he's not there yet. He knows that he is not there yet. And so he presses on to take a hold of that which Christ Jesus took a hold of me. And then what does he say? Verse 13, he says, I do not consider myself yet to have this. But one thing I do, forgetting what's behind and straining towards what's ahead. So Paul knows that there is something greater. And so he is straining towards that. He's forgetting what's behind. Now, I've always read this in the light that when we come to Jesus, we can forget all the bad stuff that we've done. Right? And so I've read this going, this is great because my story as a Christian was that I became a Christian. Even though I grew up in a Christian home, I became a Christian. And so there were things that I did that I regretted. Right? I, I would bully people. I would mistreat women. I would go and get drunk. This was what I was doing. And so when I came to Christ, the good news is I can forget that. And so when I came to this passage, I'm thinking that this is great. I can forget the bad stuff that I've done, which is true. And it's freeing for those of us who that's our story too, right? where there are things that we've done that we regret. We can come to Christ and forget the bad stuff. But Paul's not just talking about the bad stuff. He's not just talking about the sin that we've been up to. He's talking about the good stuff as well. He says, I forget what's behind and I strain towards what's ahead. And the language that Paul uses is meant to take us to sport, right? It's actually meant to take us to this picture of sports. So for the first time in my life, I can use a sports illustration, not because I want to, but because Paul actually does. So the Olympics are on at the moment. And uh, I know the Olympics are a great time for all of us uh, to watch sports we haven't watched in four years. Right, we were watching water polo the other day, just being amazed that those people can actually do that for the whole time, kicking water, staying above the water, throw it. You know, that, that's pretty cool. Dressage, if you watch that, right? That's a once in four years sport that you watch, right? It's just, it's just horses in a paddock, but, but whatever, right? So, so the Olympics are on at the moment. And the thing is with the Olympics, and this happens every time, is that in some event, what happens is the favorite, the, the one who's meant to win, just doesn't, right? Just doesn't win. It happens in lots of events, uh, and I know for sure that it's happened this time around in the tennis. So if you're a tennis fan, it, Novak Djokovic, arguably the, you know, the best male tennis player at the moment. You could, you, know, you could argue he's on the way down, potentially, but still up there, easily one of the best, the favorite going into the Olympics. And then at the same time, Serena Williams, so also, you know, one of the best female tennis players. Both of those players in the Olympics, even though they were favourites, even though they were meant to kind of win, both of them got knocked out in early rounds to people you've never heard of and that I couldn't be bothered Googling. Both of them got knocked out by players you wouldn't even know. Now, you know what didn't matter at that point in the game that they were playing? You know what didn't matter? What didn't matter in those games that they were playing was what happened before them. 
So it didn't matter the bad stuff that they'd done. It didn't matter that uh, Djokovic got knocked out of what, the US Open? That didn't matter. It didn't matter that he'd won the Australian Open. Did he win that? It didn't, didn't matter his losses before that. It didn't matter his wins before that. It didn't matter the bad stuff. That doesn't matter. The good stuff doesn't matter. All that mattered was the game. Same with Serena Williams. The bad stuff didn't matter that she'd done. The good stuff doesn't matter. All that mattered was the game in front of them, and they both lost. Now, we hear this kind of thing all the time in sport. What doesn't matter is what's gone before them, right? It's getting to footy finals soon, which is great. And what doesn't matter is what's happened in the season. What doesn't matter is the good or the bad in the season. What simply matters is what's going on in front of them, what's happening now and what's ahead. And Paul's actually speaking about this kind of idea, right? It's not just the bad stuff. But that, that's true, like it's freeing for Christians that we can know that in Christ we are forgiven, that we can forget what we've done, even though some of us have living scars and active reminders all the time. We can forget the bad stuff that we've done, the mistakes that we've made. But what Paul's also talking about is the good stuff too. Right? He forgets it and he strains ahead. That's why he said, I count everything as a loss. Right, is that, you know, last week we saw that. He says, I count everything as a loss for the sake of knowing Christ because the bad stuff behind him and the good stuff doesn't matter. What simply matters is straining, running towards what's ahead. So what Paul's saying is the glory days don't matter. You know what I mean by that? Like we all love talking about our glory days. I love talking about our glory days. You know, there's a thing that comes up. I don't know what it was for you, but, you know, there's a sport, there's a thing that you may have been good at if you kept going. You would have played for a You would have been at the Olympics. Like, we all have glory days, but, but do you have Christian glory days? You know, like the times where you were really good at talking about Jesus, the times where you were really on fire for Jesus, the, the times where your prayer was on point, where your Bible reading was on point. But what Paul's saying is there's no glory days. Like God's not going to ask us at the gate of heaven, tell me about your glory days. That doesn't matter, Paul says. He says, I count it all as loss. He says, I forget what's behind and I strain towards what's ahead. He runs towards what's ahead. And so what does Paul do? He lets go of everything. He lets go of everything and he chases towards Jesus. That's what we saw last week. That's what we've seen in this series. Paul let go of everything. And he chases, he runs after Jesus. Now, we kind of see this in his language. He says in verse 16, he says, let us live up to what we've attained. He knows he's got this hope. It's a real hope. And then he says in 17, join with others in following my example, brothers. Live according to the pattern that we gave you. Right? So, so Paul knows there's a reality of hell, uh, of heaven. And so what he does is he forgets everything and he strains towards this reality of heaven. And so, so what do we do with this reality? Well, we follow Paul's example. We let go of everything and we strain towards heaven. We strain towards what's ahead. And so the question for us this morning is, are we running towards heaven? Right? That, that is the question that we have to ask here this morning. If we're Christians, if we call ourselves Christians, if we would say, yes, I'm a part of something greater, the question for us is, am I running towards heaven? Which is a great question to ask because if you're anything like me, the problem is half the time, actually more than half the time, is I just don't think about heaven. Right? Like the, the whole world is telling me that what matters is what's in front of me. Everyone all the time is telling me that the thing that matters most is what's going on in this world. 
And so the question I have to ask is, am I thinking, am I running towards heaven? Because, yeah, Christians know we've got something better than heaven. We've got something better than what's in front of us. But it's so easy to get caught up in what the world is telling us. I mean, I worry about things more than I think about heaven. I worry about my job. I worry about my status. I worry about how people see me. I worry about my image. I worry about things going on. I worry about my job, my health. I worry about these things more than, way more than I even think about heaven. And so if you look at my life, the reality is I'm actually running towards these things rather than running towards heaven. And if you're anything like me, that might be your reality too. And so what God is calling us this morning is to fix our eyes off what's in front of us and put them on Christ. Right? He's actually urging us to think about and dwell on the reality that heaven is our hope. This week, he wants us, as we wake up in the morning, as we read our Bibles, as we think about these things of God, that we think about heaven. As we pray at night, that we long for heaven, as we have conversations, that our conversations are filled because we know that there is a reality of heaven. Right? You see, we, we need to think about heaven because it's a reality. Paul says, I'm running towards this reality. I am pursuing this reality. And so why does Christianity matter? Why does trusting Jesus matter? Because there is a reality of heaven. There is. And so Paul says, I run towards this. I am straining towards this. I forget what's behind and I'm going towards this. But why else does Christianity matter? And that's where Paul's about to go because of what happens if we stop running. And it's the reality of hell. Have a look, verse 18. He says this, For as I have often told you before, and now say again even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. The second reason this, whole, this thing matters, Christianity matters, is because hell is a reality. And Paul knows that. Now, to feel the weight of what he's saying, we've got to understand who Paul is. This is a guy that has been beaten, right? He's been whipped. He's been flogged. They've tried killing him. He's been shipwrecked. He's watched people die for the faith. And yet here he is in tears. Why? Because he knows the reality for these people who have given up on Christ, who are enemies of the cross because they chase after their own desires. He says they are enemies of the cross, their God is their belly and their mind set on earthly things. Now the God is their belly thing, while that sounds weird, all it simply means is that they are living for their appetites, right? their desires, their wants. He's saying that their God is their belly. They are living for themselves. And Paul knows the reality that you just can't do whatever you want and still hold on to Christ. Right? Like Jesus is either your Savior who saves you from sin and your Lord who you listen to or he's nothing. Right? There's no in-between here. And Paul knows since they've given up, since they're following their own desires, they have become enemies of the cross. And so what this means for Paul in Paul's day is that some of these people, they might even be Jews, right, who have given up on Christ because they're chasing after their own flesh, right? We saw that last, boasting about their circumcision, but he's saying they're enemies of Christ. But it could just simply be that they're chasing after their own comfort. 
They're chasing job after job after job to get promotion after promotion so that they have security and comfort that they pay their home loan off. Right? It could be that they're chasing a good time, that they're chasing sex and alcohol and drugs, that they're chasing that time. It could be anything else. But whatever it is, Paul says they are chasing after their own wants. Since they're chasing after their own wants, they've given up on Christ. Either they're not looking into Christ or they've given up on Him after maybe knowing Him or knowing the truth. They've given up on Christ. And so, with tears in his eyes, he says their end is destruction. Their end is destruction. Paul's saying this with tears. Like you have to feel the heartbreak of what Paul's going through here. We have to feel the weight of what Paul's saying here. Because the, the reality is this doesn't just happen in Paul's day. Like this happens all the time. I mean, I've watched people. There's, there's this, this guy who on a few years ago was on this camp and we're having this 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 day where we're just talking about stuff going on and um, in his life and he's one of those kids that just you know like you just feel for him because they just they've been abandoned again and again and again and so I'm talking to him about how God the Father will never leave you never abandon you talking to him about Jesus and how much God loves him and it seems like the light's coming on Right, And then it seems like he's given his life to Jesus. And then we, we meet up after this camp for a few times. But within years, this guy gave up on it. He let it go for the chase of relationships and his body. We, we see this again and again. And you might have seen this. Right? I've known people who have gone to church and served Jesus, who I've looked up to give up on Christ for the chase of money. Watch Christian leaders, youth leaders who I have respected and looked up to who have given up on Christ for the chase of sex. I've seen marriages fall apart because people have chased after something in front of them. It's heartbreaking, right? Because the trade-off's not worth it. They're giving up on Christ to chase after something here in this world. Now, maybe you feel these tears. Maybe you feel the heartbreak that God's feeling here. Maybe you know people. But stick with me here. Paul's not just saying this stuff to remind us of all the heartbreak that we've felt. He is warning us. He is challenging us. He is saying to us, if you chase after stuff in this earth, and give up on Christ, know your reality. Hell is a reality. And if you give up on Christ, you just don't get the benefits of Christ. Right? Let's see, see the, the reality is actually worse than that. But see, the good news of the Bible is this, right? The good news is that we don't get what we deserve. That Jesus died on the cross to take what I deserve. So, so, and we've looked at this in this series. So my bad stuff that I've done where I've just done stuff that God said not to, or the good stuff I haven't. So even if you think you're not that bad, the good stuff that I haven't, because I've done this and I'm sinful, I deserve destruction. That's my due, right? That's what I deserve. That's my wage for what I've done. But the good news is that Jesus dies on the cross to take our place. But not everyone gets that. Only those who trust in Jesus get that. And so if you give up on Jesus to chase after something in this earth, then you have to hear Paul's words. He's saying their end 
is destruction. Right? So, so you can chase after things in this earth. You can do that. You can chase after comfort. You can chase after sex. You can chase after alcohol. You can chase after perfect relationships. You can chase after your image. You can chase after whatever you want. No one's stopping you doing that. But if you do that, know the reality. Hell is a reality. And if we give up on Christ, that's our reality. That's what we face. So you can do that. But hear what Paul's saying. He says their minds on earthly things, they're enemies of the cross, and their end is destruction. And so this morning, as we think about these two realities of heaven and hell, we have to think about what we're going to do with this. Are you going to live for Jesus, trust for Jesus, be a part of something greater, or are you going to chase after what's here and now, but know that heaven and hell are realities we have to face? And so, so we've got to think about that this morning. What am I going to do? It's kind of like this. So I got a rope here. I, I want you to imagine that this rope just goes and goes and goes. And I hope you've seen this before. This isn't my like thing that I've made up. But here it is. So this is a rope. And, and I want you to imagine that this rope just goes, right? Like goes, like it wraps around the world. And, and so this rope signifies your existence. Okay, this, this is your existence here, and it goes. And this was where you began, over here, the start of the rope. This was your beginning. So I don't know what hospital that was in, what year that was in, but this is your beginning, and this is your existence. Now, now this bit here, right, can you see that, the red bit on this rope? This is your life on earth. This is what it signifies. The Bible says, actually, it's like a breath, right, that our lives on earth are a breath. So, so this is what it signifies, your, your life on earth. Right? And, and this bit here signifies eternity. Right? See this picture? What Paul's saying here is he's saying some are given up on Christ for the chase of sex here and alcohol here and comfort here. Right? You see what he's saying? He's saying they, they're chasing after themselves here. And since they're chasing after themselves here, their end is destruction. With tears in his eyes, he says their end is destruction. But the Bible also says if you trust in Jesus here, and it doesn't matter if you like this or not, the Bible says that God says it. If you trust in Jesus here and live in response to him here, then we have a hope of something greater. And so the question you have to ask is what are you going to do? What are you going to live for? Right? Because you can live for this. You can. And the crazy thing about it is this is what our world says. In fact, most of our world says, no, no, I'm actually living for this bit to this bit called retirement. <laughs> you see that? And so, so, so you can live for this. You can chase after stuff here. My relationships. My comfort. You can chase after my good time. You can chase after the house. And so every time you get that job, you get that paycheck, it's going away. We're, we're saving so that we can pay it off by here. Right? You see, we can live for here. We can chase sex, we can chase the good time here, we can chase comfort, we can chase friends, we can chase our image here. But if, if we're doing that, Paul says, with tears in his eyes, your end is destruction. It's a crazy trade-off. How's that worth it? It's not worth it. right? It's a crazy trade-off. And Paul says, I'm not doing that. Paul says, no, for me to live is Christ. Right? And to die is gain. 
Paul says, I'm going to do everything I can to get this. I want to know Christ so that somehow I can get the resurrection of the dead. He says, I count everything as a loss. You see how he says this? I count everything as a loss. I forget what's behind and I strain towards what's ahead because I know that there's something greater. And so we can live for this here. We can chase after heaven. We can run towards Christ. That's the challenge. We see the reality of what's going on, and so we run towards Christ. And as we run towards Christ, realizing there's something greater, you see how it's going to affect this bit? See how it's going to affect our life here? Right? I mean, how are we going to spend our money chasing after ourselves when we're not living for this? And this is what Paul says. So have a look at it, verse 20. This is what he says. He says, Our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they'll be like his glorious bodies. See what Paul's saying there? He's saying, I'm living for this, right? I'm a citizen of here. I'm a citizen of heaven. And so he's waiting for Jesus to transform his lowly, dodgy body that gets sick once every three months, that can barely go through a day without falling asleep to into a glorious body that's kind of lasted all eternity, right? That's what Paul says. And, and so the question has to be on us. What are we going to live for? Are we going to live for this or are we going to live for this? And if we live for heaven, can you see how it's going to change this? See how it's going to change your life on earth? Right? Can you see how it's going to change your finances? Right? When we think about how much money we get, right? If we think about it, what, if we're living for this, yeah, we're spending all of our money here. But if we're living for something greater, then it changes things. And so the question we've got to ask is, could, if we looked at my budget right now, could it reflect that I'm living for something greater? It'll change how we raise our kids. Right? Can you see this? So our world says that the most important thing for our kids is this tiny little bit here where they get to grade 12. And so are we getting caught up in that teaching our kids that the most important thing is their education or are we teaching them that there is something greater? That far more important than what's going on in school is something greater, is heaven. Right? You see how this works? It changes the way we live here if we're living for something greater changes everything it changes what we're hunting for it changes what we're making how we're making friends it changes who we're talking to what we speak about it changes everything if we're living for something greater and so this morning the question we have to ask ourselves what am i living for heaven and hell are realities am i living for time on earth here and if i am paul says with tears in his eyes their end is destruction or am I living for something greater? Something we all have to ask. Something all of us this morning have to wrestle with the question, am I living for Christ, knowing that there's a reality of heaven, or am I living for myself, knowing there's a reality of hell? So what are you going to do? This morning, the, the challenge is there for you. What are you, what are you going to do with this? I mean, some of us are going to leave this morning and forget, right, that heaven and hell is a reality. We're going to go into our weeks and do what I always do. Just forget about this stuff. Don't do that, right? That's the challenge from this passage. Just don't forget it. Remember it. But, but for some of us here too this morning, for some of us, we feel the weight of this challenge. 
For some of us, for the first time, we feel the weight of this challenge. We see the realities of heaven and hell. And so we feel the weight of, of actually trusting in Jesus. And so for some of us here this morning, we might want to join, be a part of something greater for the first time. For some of us, though, this morning, we just might want to recommit. Like if we think about our lives, we have been living for this little bit on earth. And so we want to recommit. And if that's either of you this morning, if you want to trust in Jesus for the first time, be a part of something greater, join us in our race towards heaven. Or if you want to recommit, then here's what I want to encourage you to do. This morning, I want to encourage you to take two steps. I mean, the way Paul describes it as a race towards Christ, and a race is just a series of steps. And so I want to encourage you to take two steps here this morning. The first step is actually inwardly committing to trusting in Jesus. And so some of us here this morning might do that for the first time. Actively, inwardly trust Jesus. And so here's what I want to encourage you to do. Here's what we're going to do. In a moment, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to leave in a moment a, a chance there for you to say, I want to trust Jesus. I want to trust Jesus. I want to trust him. I want to trust in his death and resurrection. I know I, need, I know I deserve destruction. I know I can't save myself and I want to trust Jesus. And if you trust in Jesus, right, then the hope of something greater is a reality for us. And so I'm going to pray and leave a moment there for you. Now, it doesn't matter. This is an inward thing first. Right? So it doesn't matter if the people around you think you're a Christian. Right? If as this morning you think about these realities, as you think about God's word, right? I don't want you to think about what people think about you for a second. This is between you and God. And so there's going to be a chance in this prayer, and I'm going to leave that chance for you to say, I want to trust Jesus. But the second step I want to encourage you to take is this. Right? Normally what happens after this service, we have, I'll pray in a second, we'll sing our final song, and then we'll go and have morning tea or pick up our kids or whatever, but I want to encourage you that if you've taken that first step, whether it's that first step for the first time or recommitting back, running to Christ, and what I want you to do, I want to encourage you to do this. I mean, it's church after all. Talk to the people around you, right? Tell them, people that you're comfortable with, and ask them to pray for you. It's church. We should be able to do that, and so that's what I want you to do. I want you to say to the people around you, if you, you feel comfortable, and maybe they're not around you, maybe they're somewhere else in this church, but tell them, say to them, I took this step back to Christ. I want to trust Jesus. Can you pray for me? Right? And if you don't feel comfortable doing that with anyone else, then I'm going to be sitting over here. But I'd, I don't pray special prayers, right? I'm going to pray the same thing as everyone else, that you would keep trusting in Jesus, that you would keep running the race until you see him face to face. So that's the second step I want to take. So that might mean that you just hold off a second from picking up your kids, right? But w whatever it is, or, or going out and grabbing morning tea, but stopping this morning, asking for prayer, taking these two steps as we run towards Jesus. Why? Because this matters. This really matters. Heaven and hell are realities that we have to face. Paul says, I forget what's behind, but I'm not lazy. I don't sit down. I don't do nothing. No, instead I run towards what's ahead. I run towards that which Christ has called me. I count everything as a loss and I run to Jesus. So let's now this morning run to Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we come to you. God, we come to you knowing that if you left us alone, we would have no hope and be destined for exactly what we deserve in hell. 
but God, you didn't leave us. Instead, you came to us and you died on the cross to save us and we can know that we can be a part of something greater when we trust in you. And so this morning, Lord, some of us want to say these words inwardly. Jesus, I want to trust you. Thank you, God, that there is a hope that when we trust Jesus, that we can know that there is something greater. God, this morning, too, we also want to pray with those, for those people who have broken our hearts because they've given up on Christ to chase after something else. You feel our hurt, Lord, and we commit them to you and we pray that you would give us, give them grace and mercy, the same grace and mercy you gave us. We pray that you would save them. And so, God, we commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.